Well, good morning. How is everyone? It is a pleasure, a delight to be here with you this morning. Thank you for your gracious, kind words, Pastor Van. Uh, as I said earlier in the morning, in the morning he said the same thing about me, and I just want everyone to know, Pastor Van, I like you too. <laughs> so, uh, and again, my favorite part is to present my family, to introduce my family. So I'm here with my four favorite people in the world, my wife, Lori, in the back, uh, my son, Josias, who is uh, 11 years old, my daughter, Leela, who's nine, and then our youngest, Abby, is four years old. And it is just a delight to worship with you this morning and to share this time in God's word and fellowship. So I pray that the Lord would use it. And uh, before I pray, I would like to open up with you God's word and read through the text. It's a, it's a large text, so stay with me. I think the Lord will bless just even the reading of, of this scripture. So if you want to open your Bibles up to Psalm chapter 37, we are going to read together 40 Bible verses together. So chapter 37, the 37th Psalm, and let us enjoy this time of just reading through God's word. So Psalm chapter 37, fret not yourself because of evildoers, be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times, and the days of famine they have abundance. But the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. The wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives, for those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good. So shall you dwell forever. 
For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power. Or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the, look on when the wicked are cut off. I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree, but he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace. But transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in a time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Let's pray. Father, as we sit under the authority of your word, We recognize that I have not come here to share a message of my own. But Lord, you speak in your word. And I am simply a messenger. Lord, I pray that you would help me to faithfully exposit and to deliver and to proclaim this message. Lord, I pray that you would uh, bless Calvary Christian Center. That each and every one of us, as we hear your word, that would seek to apply it. And that our hearts and very lives would be transformed by the richness that is found. And the, and the sweetness that is found in your word. Lord, may you have your hand over this time in a special way. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. North Korea has been considered by Open Door Ministries, and others would attest to this as well, one of the most hostile nations in the world, one of the most dangerous places in the world. In fact, it is the most dangerous place in the world for Christians. Over the past 18 years, it's consecutively made that list on the top. It's the the most dangerous place to live. Christians are said to be murdered on the spot. Uh, In the best-case scenario, many Christians are thrown into labor camps Uh, with their entire extended family, which can reach back even four generations back. So it's extensive, the persecution. Uh, Just by one person proclaiming Christ, all of the family becomes persecuted, thrown into labor camps, if not murdered. One out of every 12 Christians in the world lives in an area or a culture in which Christianity is either illegal, forbidden, or punished. And we hear these things, and I know that it is distant. It seems distant to us. And it's distant, not just geographically, though that is true. It's geographically distant. But it's distant experientially, isn't it? It is just hard to relate to this kind of persecution. We gather here on Sundays, much like many others do here in the United States. And we worship the Lord together freely. Uh, We proclaim Christ in the confines of our homes, in our communities, in our workplaces. And none of us, I think, in large part, if not in all the part, fear for our lives in doing so. 
I just want you to step into this reality for a second and think about what it would be like to be in North Korea. What would it be like to be separated from your family, to be separated from your children, your, your spouse, and, and to every day wake up to the cruel torment of a labor camp while the savage oppressor and dictator spends his life in luxury? What would that feel like? What might that bring about in your heart? Might it be, and I think this would be the case for me, difficult to not struggle with anger or bitterness? Well, the reality is, though we don't live in North Korea, we also have very harsh realities in life. Uh, It may not look like that, but we certainly don't have to go to North Korea to understand that bitterness and anger are emotions that are generated in our hearts in many different ways. In fact, uh, it really just takes having a boss <laughs> in, a, in your workplace uh, that treats you unfairly. Um, we live in a harsh world, and, and we struggle with these things. And I, th- I think I might have a hard time understanding what it's like to live in North Korea, but I don't have a hard time to understand what it's like not only to live in a harsh working environment, but to live in a harsh world where we many times feel oppressed. We feel that we're suffering. It could be your health. Maybe some of you come even today and there are health issues that you're struggling with uh, that are unresolved. Maybe your finances are in really just ruins. You're having a hard time making ends meet. Maybe it's just sheer and plain exhaustion. You're tired. And we many times can feel under this suffering, we can feel as we look outside of ourselves and we see others that are not pursuing Christ, as we pursue Christ and we struggle with finances, we struggle with our health, we struggle with these difficult challenges, we look at others who reject Christ and yet we see them with good health. We see them with full bank accounts. Uh, We see them enjoying wonderful vacation trips and uh, life for them just seems like a big party. And we look in our own lives and somehow today I just don't feel like this is a big party and here we are. Well, the Bible has a very simple and yet profound answer to these feelings, and that is trust the Lord. It's simple and it's profound. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord for eternal prosperity, while the fleeting prosperity of the faithless leads to their eternal damnation. Trust in the Lord knowing that in Christ, in Christ alone, you find salvation and a stronghold in times of trouble. For the prosperity of those who have not repented of their sin, it is fleeting. And those who do not turn to Christ for salvation will receive not eternal prosperity, but instead they will receive eternal torment in hell. And so I plead with you, Today, turn to Christ. Trust in the Lord. This is something that we continually renew in our lives. We turn to Christ amidst great suffering, great, uh, harsh, depraved world. We need to take into account our tendency to stray from the Lord and our need to trust in him. And so if you have not turned there already, I'd like for you to to look at Psalm 37 with me now. Psalm 37 is considered to be a wisdom psalm. There are psalms of lament. There are psalms of praise. Uh, This psalm is a psalm of 
wisdom, and uh, it's also an acrostic psalm, which means every couple of verses uh, in the original Hebrew was, it began with a Hebrew letter of the alphabet. And so that's kind of how this psalm is structured. This psalm was written by David, and David was, as we've already seen as we read through the text, he was an old man when he wrote it. Uh, And he emphasizes, just as we've already spoken about, I think in just one simple phrase, he emphasizes in the psalm, trust in the Lord. So Psalm 37, uh, in three ways, will express trust in the Lord. And the first one, if you're taking notes, verses 1 through 11, trust in the Lord is expressed in commitment. So trust in the Lord is expressed in commitment. Secondly, in Verses 12 to 26, we'll see that trust in the Lord is expressed in contentment. Trust in the Lord is expressed in contentment. And finally, we'll see trust in the Lord is expressed in confidence. Trust in the Lord is expressed in confidence. So let's begin and look at trust in the Lord as it is expressed in commitment. Now, David, again, as we said, he is an old man at this point. And certainly we know that David, at least this much we can say, he's seen his fair share of suffering. He's lived in an oppressed world. Uh, He's understood, and we don't have to go too much farther even than just one account of Saul. Now, if someone's throwing spears at you, I think you can count that as persecution. Uh, and, And this is the story of David, as you know. Uh, whether it was spears being thrown at him or Saul, for the better part of his youth, chasing him down, seeking to kill him. And as you very well know, David at certain points had an opportunity to end this, right? He could have killed Saul, and he didn't. And yet Saul turns right around, and what does he do? He continues to persecute David and seek out David to kill him. And David could have grown bitter, right? He could have grown angry and frustrated over the situation. But instead, as he says today in verse in chapter 37, he trusts in the Lord. And that is the message of chapter 37 here. In fact, he starts here in chapter 37, 1. He says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. And he goes on, if you jump ahead in verse 8, he says, Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. And so, fret not, really, in light of other parts of this passage, is really saying, fret not, is be envious not. Be angry not. Grow not bitter and frustrated under these persecuting circumstances. Uh, Asaph in Psalm 73, which is actually a psalm quite similar to Psalm 37. Just switch the numbers around, and there you have it. Psalm 73, Asaph says the following. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogance when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now David proceeds in this first section to encourage us to trust in the Lord. And this trust expresses itself, as we've spoken about, in commitment. And it expresses itself in commitment in two ways. One, a commitment to put off the old self and to put on the new self. And this is 
New Testament language, but really this is what David is getting at here. Paul says in Ephesians 4, 17 and 24, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in, your mi- in the spirit of your minds. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We know that we are only able to commit ourselves to putting off the old self and putting on the new self. This is only possible when we have, as Ephesians 4, 1 says, we can say that we are walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now that calling points to something that's a calling of salvation. Those who are found in Christ, trusting in Christ today for their salvation, those who know him as their Savior, have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, then those can say that I am too, and I can. I am equipped to put off the old self and put on the new self. And so we look here first at putting off, and this text really points first and foremost to putting off envy towards evildoers. Did you see that? Chapter 37, 1 says, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. And so it says, as it continues, For they soon will fade like the grass. They will fade like the grass, these evildoers. Be not envious of them because they will fade. Now, I'm just, I'm going to step out on a limb here, but I'm pretty sure that probably most of you have a Facebook page. Um, Maybe I'm wrong. Lots of people do. One of the things that goes on when you look at Facebook is you kind of, and I would say one of the primary functions of Facebook, is you just kind of peer into the lives of other people, don't you? You just kind of get the opportunity to see what's, and it's great. You get to see what's going on in, in your friends' lives and other people's lives, and, and there's a lot to be said about that uh, that's wonderful. But one of the dangers, I think, that lies that can just capture you uh, in, in the, the ability to peer into other people's lives is that we can easily fall into this trap of envy. We can easily, under the difficult and harsh realities of this world in which we live, uh, fall into looking at someone else's life that has rejected the Lord, that doesn't even love the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I pursue the Lord and struggle with my health and struggle with these areas of my life, it can be very harsh, difficult to, to not just kind of struggle with envy. Why does my life not look like their life? That wonderful vacation, that beautiful family, whatever it may be. Well, verse 10, if you look ahead, 37, 10, David says, In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. That this prosperity, this facade of prosperity in reality, will not endure. It is fleeting. Ephesians 4 spoke of putting off our old self and how we are corrupt in our deceitful desires. And when you envy, when you look upon someone else and you envy what they have, just want to unpack that a little bit. What's, what's going on there when we do that? Uh, what is it really when you envy someone else? What is it that you're desiring? Well, it's a deceitful desire and it's futile. And really what you're doing, you're, you're willing, uh, in envying someone else, you're willing to ascribe worth to something or someone else and to prize that thing or that 
someone, whatever it is that they have in your heart to such a degree, degree that you might be deceived into thinking that what they have, the prosperity that comes about in their life, or at least the appearance of that, is what would also, it's what I need to bring about prosperity in my life. That's really what's going on when we're envying someone else. And, and David says, no, put it off. Be not envious of wrongdoers. Prize Christ in your hearts. Commit to putting off all envy. It is not worth it. It is not Christ is worth it. He is worthy of all worship and all honor and praise and glory. We put our worth in him. That is what we look to. So we put off envy towards evildoers. Secondly, we put off anger towards evildoers. Jump ahead again to verse 8 here. And we see refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. Now maybe there is a deep-seated anger that's fermenting in your heart in some way. Maybe there's just oppression of the world. Maybe there's circumstances. Maybe things just haven't turned out the way you expected them to in life. Maybe someone uh, has harmed you in some way. Maybe it's even the political climate in which we live today that's just got you angry. Uh, Maybe changing diapers and washing clothes for the family, washing dishes, cleaning the house. Uh, This has just become a loathsome task. That has just worn you down and anger has given birth in your hearts. Um, maybe it's a discomfort of some kind that is uh, due to your health. And maybe there's no resolution in sight. Doctors don't even know what it is. I don't know what it is that's going on in your life or in your heart right now. But I do know that anger is a reality and that we in Christ must put off anger. We must do the hard work and commit ourselves to putting it off. Look at verse 9 again. It says, For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Now, anger almost always demonstrates that our hearts stand in rebellion before the sovereignty of God. It's almost always, there's, our hearts is, are so complex. It's, it's very rare that there's righteous anger in our lives, in our hearts, in our depraved nature. It's a very hard thing. Ephesians 4 says this, in light of putting off your old self, Paul continues in saying, be angry and do not sin. And so, yes, it's possible, but this is what Paul has to say. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Our hearts, our fallen nature are so complex the, the, the sin is so pervasive in our depraved nature that we must be very quick to not let anger take root in our hearts. Uh, we must be quick to put it off, to refrain from anger. As verse 38, or 37 verse 8 says, Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. Uh, that is what anger will tend to do in our hearts, in our lives. So put it off, brothers and sisters. Put it off. But the big lurking question here is, how? (laughs) That's great. That's all fine and dandy. How do I do this? How do I put off anger? How do I put off envy? How do I escape from these things that have brought about and fermented in my heart, these these distasteful and... um, sinful reactions. How do I do that? How do I take these things off? 
Well, in short, it's trust the Lord. But David goes on and, and, and he really unpacks this in several different ways. He says, put on trust. That's the first thing he says. So put on trust. Look at verse 3 here. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Look at verse 5. He says, commit your way to the Lord. Again, trust in the Lord expresses itself in commitment. Commitment to trust in the Lord, to put on trust. And so this is foundational. I think really if, if, if you're going to leave today and just one thing stays with you, I hope that it would be this, what I'm about to say to you. Because this is foundational not only just to this sermon text today. It's not only foundational to your life. It's foundational to understanding the world and your place in the world. Trust in Jesus. You see, the evildoers that this passage refers to are be, that are being discussed here are those that have rejected Jesus Christ, those who have turned away and they do not embrace him as their Lord and Savior. And that would be a broad summarization that categorizes the very heart of anyone that is wicked, anyone that is an evildoer, that has rejected Christ. That is, that is something that is standing. In fact, maybe some of you are here today saying, but I'm not that wicked. I'm not that bad. And I would really have to bring there some bad news for you because the Bible says something far different. The Bible says that all of us are bad. In fact, if you want to compare yourself to other men, you might might come to that conclusion. But when we look at ourselves in light of an eternal, holy, and perfect God, we cannot come to that conclusion. Romans 3 says that all have sinned. All have sinned. It goes on and it says... There is not even one that is good. Not even one. And you might be able to compare yourself to men. But before God, that is the question. We have sinned. And Romans 6 says the payment of our sin is death. And that death is hell. And the good news I have to bring to you today, uh, the good news that many of you have embraced and you love the Lord Jesus Christ. But if there is any of you here today that have not turn to Christ, in Christ alone, through faith alone, for your salvation, then I exhort you, I plead to you today to turn to Christ, to put on Christ, to receive the eternal prosperity that is found in Christ alone for salvation. Because Romans 8 continues and says that there is no, what beautiful words these are, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Amen? There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. You are in Christ Jesus when you trust in him alone for salvation. The payment of sin is death. Well, Jesus Christ took that payment for us. He died the death that we deserve. He took upon himself our sin and he rose again victorious over death. And we too in him, in faith, rise and are with him. And so we put on Christ. And we do this once and for all, and we become children of God, sealed by the Holy Spirit for all eternity. This is good news, brothers and sisters. But we know, just like our earthly father and son relationships, we can harm those relationships. Even though I can't change my kids from being my kids, that can't not happen. They will always be my kids. There are still things they can do that damage that relationship. And it's the same way with God. And as we spoke about, we need to turn and we need to trust 
in Christ. I don't know what the situation in your life is right now that might be pulling you towards not trusting Christ, but I encourage you today to take off, take off the old self, take off angry anger, take off envy, and to put on trust in Christ. David continues, he says, put on faithfulness. In verse 3, he says, trust in the Lord and do good, dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Do good. Do good. Be faithful. There are times when I can become so consumed, and I know you guys know what I'm talking about, so consumed by anger or envy that it just rattles around in my mind and even my heart. And maybe someone said something to you. Maybe there's a circumstance in life and you just... It just keeps coming up. You keep being distracted by it. Maybe you even plan how you would respond to a situation or the next time you see such and such a person, how you would speak with them because this anger is just fermenting inside of you. And the Bible says, David says here, he says, fill your mind with faithfulness. Do good. Be faithful, and that doing good really is played out in all these other put-ons. As we put on the new self, we see what that looks like, and part of what that looks like is to put on patience. That's another one. David says in verse 7, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way. Now, this is very hard, isn't it, to wait? It's hard for my kids. It's hard for me. You know, we, we as children of God in our sinful nature... We want what we want when we want it. It is not easy to wait. Maybe some of you, whether it be troubles with family, troubles with uh, work, troubles with finances or health, and yet God calls you to wait. You can't resolve it all. In fact, God is sovereign. He sits on his throne, and you wait, and you trust, and you be faithful. And so wait on the Lord. Trust in him and his timing. And put on humility. Look at verse 11. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The meek shall inherit the land. The land motif here, as we saw as we read through this text, it continues to appear and reappear. What is this land? It says God will vindicate his children, and, and this means that those who trust in him will inherit the land. And some of you are thinking that just doesn't sound exciting right now. I don't need land. Thank you. It's not really resonating with me at this moment. Well, that's okay. Let's hear to the, let's listen, let's give an ear to the whole counsel of God because this is significant. The land that God promised to Israel was, in this context, the land of Canaan. But this same promise extends, brothers and sisters, to all of God's people. Jesus makes this clear on the Sermon of the Mount. In fact, probably this text derives from chapter 37 in Psalms. Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. God gave Canaan to Israel. It is given to them forever. Please jump ahead with me. Look ahead here in verse 29. The righteous, the righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it. What? Forever. This is a forever land. It's ultimately, it's a reference to heaven. And this is ours in Christ. This is what we inherit. This promise of eternal life. Listen to Paul in Galatians. Galatians 3, 26 to 29. 
For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Amen? Brothers and sisters, put on humility before the Lord. Submit your life to him today. It doesn't matter the circumstance you're living in right now. Put this on. You need this. Put on humility. Put on meekness. Surrender to him both for your salvation and for your sanctification. Live out your life in Christ continually putting on humility. Put on delight. Look at verse 34 or 37 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Put off anger and envy. Put on delight in Christ. Matthew 6 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. All these things refers to what you eat and what you drink. Don't make these temporal things the focus of your life. That's what Matthew's saying. That should not be these temporal things, the focus of your life. But seek Christ. Seek the kingdom of God. Now, unfortunately, this verse has been terribly abused in the church. Because many people take this verse, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart, to mean, will the desires of my heart right now say BMW? The desires of my heart right now say, I want to be rich. I want to be famous. Oh, I just want good health. I want a private jet. I mean, this gets bad. And yet, that is not. Just look at verse 5 here. It says, commit your ways. Again, we are seeking to trust in the Lord. And it expresses itself in commitment. Commitment to putting off and putting on. We commit ourselves to delighting in the Lord. Trust in Him. And He will act. Commit yourself to trusting in him. When you commit the pursuit of your life. So here we're not talking about trusting in the Lord so I can get earthly goodies. We're talking about trusting in the Lord so that I can get Christ. That is what transforms your life. That is what changes the whole paradigm. That we love Christ. We delight in Christ. When you commit the pursuit of your life to Christ, then you desire Things that Christ desires. Your desires blossom into a hunger and a thirst for desiring and delighting in the same things that God delights in. Be captivated. Be encaptured. Be engulfed in the lavish riches of the grace of Christ. Does anything compare to the riches of the grace of Christ? Does anything compare to it? No. There is nothing greater Nothing can be offered to you that is greater than Christ. Delight in this. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Can you say this with me? Amen. I don't know what evildoers might be oppressing you in your life this morning. And I don't know what might come about in the future. But I do know 
That whether you be a victim of abuse, whether you be uh, walking through a conflict, maybe unfaithfulness in your marriage, whether whatever that struggle may be that you've been sinned against, uh, whether there's envy or anger taking root in your heart, we certainly can be tempted towards that, can't we? And I do know this. David says, God's word says, delight in Christ. Put on delight. Put it on. Meditate on him. And so we have seen that trust in the Lord is expressed first and foremost in commitment to put off some things and to put on other things. And we spent much more time on this first point. But the second point I'd like to address is trust in the Lord is expressed in contentment. In contentment. And so from from verses 12 to 26, we see first and foremost that contentment is found in God's sovereignty. Let's read together verses 12 and 13. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. God isn't worried about the proud schemes of the wicked, whatever that may be in your life right now. In fact, it says that he laughs at it. It is not a threat. He knows that the seeming victories of the wicked will vanish and they will come back on their own heads. Just look at 14 and 15. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy to slay those who, whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart and their bows shall be broken. Their plans are futile. The sword they scheme with enters their own heart because the prosperity is fleeting for the wicked, for those who have turned from Christ, but for us who have put on Christ, that embrace him with the security of our eternal salvation, well, there is a land and there is a prosperity that awaits us. And we hold on to this and we put it on. Romans chapter 12, 19 through 20 says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. If God doesn't make things right in this life, and may we even just think for a moment on someone right now, surely there is many in North Korea, who most likely their end will not come out on top. They will probably see the end of their life under a dictatorship under severe oppression. But guess what? Vengeance belongs to the Lord. Whatever your circumstances, be content in him. Rest in his marvelous and wondrous and magnificent sovereignty. What a peace there is in that. Secondly, contentment is God's provision. And so we see this from verses 16 to 26. Philippians 4, 11, 13 really brings light to this. Paul says, I have learned in whatever situation... I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, have you ever faced hunger? That's what Paul just said. I mean, I'm going to step out on a limb again here. I'm thinking probably nobody here has really, truly experienced true Hunger. I'm talking about I don't know if I will live tomorrow because I see nowhere in sight food. I mean, that is an extremely desperate condition to live in. 
David says in 37 chapter or verse 25, if you could look there with me, he says, I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. So what does this mean? Does that mean that a Christian will never die of hunger? I don't think so. What does it mean? Is that a Christian will never be forsaken? I think so. A Christian will never be forsaken. Listen to Matthew 28, 20. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God provides for his children. The truth is that opposition, so one thing is what David has seen, but we know and we rest and we are assured in this fact that we will never be forsaken, that God is with us. We put on Christ. Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Similar to being without food is to be found without money. And that's really this portion of text from 16 to 26 addresses just that thing of money and being unjustly accused of something to the point where not only might it cost you your life, but it might cost you your bank account. It might cost you all of your money. And that is, too, a desperate situation to be in when you're unjustly accused. Uh, In verse 16 and 17, David says, Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. David continues to speak for days or uh, of days of famine. He continues to elaborate on this as he walks through the next passages in 23 and 24. We see him say, The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall... He shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. Though he fall, the Lord upholds him. So whether it be famine, whether it be poverty, whether it be without food or money, I don't care what suffering you might, you might be walking through today, due to the hand of an evildoer or an evil and oppressed sinful world, your steps, brothers and sisters, your steps are secure Put on the delight of the Lord. When you trust in the Lord, you put on the delight of the Lord. And if you fall, and if you looked at that, you saw, though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. So if you fall, and David knows about falling, doesn't he? David could tell you about what it's like to fall. If you fall, know this, in Christ, you will not fail. We have an advocate. You will not fail. Just listen to these life-giving words that fall on our ears and hearts like fresh spring water on parched lips. Listen to 1 John 2, 1. He says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Christ who was beaten, spit upon, whipped, stripped, mocked, and betrayed. When reviled, he did not revile in return. Yes, he, ha- he did what we could not do for ourselves. Ephesians 2 says it like this, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, and even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved. Jesus Christ is our provision. He is our advocate. Trust 
in God. And that is expressed in our contentment, in his provision and in his sovereignty. His grace is sufficient. And finally, trust in the Lord is expressed in confidence. So we see this in verses 27 through 40. We are confident in God because he has a plan. We trust confidently in his plan. Verse 27 says, turn away from evil and do good. So shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. The Lord acts with authority and justice. He will not abandon his children. That trust in him. We can confidently trust in him and his plan. Even amidst the greatest of adversities. Even though, Psalm 23 says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now you know what it's like to have a shadow. When there's your shadow, there you are. Is that not right? Well, the shadow of death is the same. Death is close. The shadow of death is near. Even in the shadow of death. Even when death is close. Even there, we are confident in the plan of God. We trust him. It expresses, trust expresses itself in confidence in him. And we do good. And, and, and we do good, turn away from evil and do good in our speech. Look at verse 30. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. His steps do not slip. So the law of God is not just on his lips, but it's in his heart. It comes from the heart. We see this. Uh, we, we know this. Luke 6 talks about this, that from the heart we speak, right? We know this to be true. And not only that, but it comes out on the feet. Did you see that in verse 31? That his steps do not slip. So trust in the Lord is expressed as you walk confidently in God's plan for your life because you will not slip. You may fall. You will not fail. But God will uphold you. That's what it says. Even if we fall, the Lord upholds his hand. Keep the law of God in your heart. And I just want to ask you the question, if that is the case for you. If you are keeping God's law, scripture, if scripture is just tethered to your life in such a way that you run to it and you seek solace and refuge and life and delight in God's word, does your Bible collect dust during the week and it just dusts off when you come on Sundays? Or, or are you seeking Christ in his word? I want to encourage you to do so if that's not the case. If you are, press on, brother and sister. Press on. But we do this in the context of a church. This is the way God's designed our spiritual lives, in the context of a church. So I want to ask you another question. I mean nothing threatening about this. It's just I know it's a reality. It's hard for me. I want to ask you, do you have a friend? I love doing the testimony of small groups. That's great. I want to encourage you, continue to seek small groups. That's a great place to find true friendships. Do you have a friend? And I say that because I know many of us don't. We might have acquaintances, but a friend. And when you call that person your friend, uh, what does that friendship look like? Describe it to me. What are the things you discuss? Do you share your struggles? Do you share sin? Are you digging deep in the life of the church in dear, true, deep friendships? I would say I used to run cross country in college, long distance competitively, and I, I just love to run. But it is far different to run every day by yourself than to run in a group. And I would say that that is a picture of the church. 
that the church is designed by God to run together. Are you running together? Is your life tethered to God's word and to his people in deep and significant ways? Brothers and sisters, you do not live in North Korea. You live in Kentucky. And there are rich and wonderful resources at our disposal, and we can freely access them. I mean, we attest that to that even today, meeting here and gathering together on a Sunday freely. I want to encourage you to trust God, to commit your ways to Christ, to put off envy and anger, to put on delight and trust in God, to trust in God, in your contentment, in his sovereignty, in his plan for your life. Uh, I want to encourage you to understand that he provides for his children, to confidently trust in his perfect plan. And I just want you to look with me in these last two verses in 39 and 40. David says, the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is the stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked hand, the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Let me give you briefly a tiny window into what salvation is. What salvation looks like. What, what we're looking at. What we're pointing and directing our lives towards. What does deliverance look like? Uh, let me show you what refuge in Christ looks like. Let me show you this land that we're talking about. Revelation 21, 1 through 5 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away, and he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Trust in the Lord. 